60 down, 305 to go. My name is Chris. This is At A Theater Near Me, the podcast where I go to the movie theaters every single day for an entire year. Today, I'm going to be talking about the movies Butter and Moonfall, as well as wrapping up Concessions Month with Peanut M&Ms. And we're beginning, it is March, so we're going to be starting Budget Month, and I'll give an update on my budget. Uh, spoiler alert, uh, so far, it's not very pretty. Uh, and but before we get any further at all, I do want to talk about the amazing popcorn at Popped Gourmet Popcorn. Popped has a store in Salem, Massachusetts, but they also have an online store at popstores.com that has over 100 flavors available. They have a full-time popcorn chef that comes up with new and creative flavors each and every week. They also offer bulk popcorn, corporate gifts, wedding bags, and more. They can do almost anything and any size, but best of all, they can ship anywhere. Uh, They sent me over a bunch of flavors to try. I opened up the Chicago style one. It's like one of the more traditional flavors they have. Uh, It's that mix of caramel and orange cheddar. I thought it was great. Uh, This is a perfect option for me when I get home from the movies now that Concessions Month is over. So if you go to popstores.com, so poppedstores.com, and use the promo code MOVIESWITHCHRIS, all one word, that's MOVIESWITHCHRIS, C-H-R-I-S, you will save 25% off your entire order. Uh, So please go check out their flavors right now, Popped Gourmet Popcorn, that's poppedstores.com. Okay, so I do want to talk about the shorts, uh, the Oscar-nominated shorts. I've been kind of talking about those the last week or so and trying to determine if I consider those to be eligible or not for this project. So I'm coming to the conclusion that they are eligible. And the reason is they are just taking up a lot of screens, more screens than I ever remember. Now, they've always done this. The Oscars, well, not always, but for the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, the Oscars have done this where they've released the shorts kind of all in one package. So you'll have the documentary shorts, you'll have the animation shorts, but most, I guess, of, of, the, of all of these, the most popular one is the live action shorts. And they'll release those in packages of five, obviously, that's how many films were nominated. But I've never seen these in so many theaters. Like, yeah, you might see them in an art house here or there, but they're starting to get more and more, they're starting to pop up in more and more mainstream theaters. And I just think it's because there aren't any theaters, uh, aren't any movies for theaters to show right now. I mean, I'll talk about the movie Butter here in a bit, uh, but I mean, this is a movie that has no business being in the theaters. And I, I kind of talked about that a lot in the last episode of, of these movies like Tiger Rising, uh, The Wolf and the Lion. Some of these movies are just, they would never be in the movie theaters in a typical year. Now, something like Moonfall, absolutely. I mean, that's kind of what January and February used to be for. It was for a dumping ground for... Um, these studios that have these kind of you know shitty big budget movies or kind of like sci-fi or horror trash that they didn't want to that weren't like good enough for the summer where you had a lot of competition uh, or even the fall so you just kind of dump them in January and hope people especially you know maybe teenagers or young adults are kind of bored enough just go to the movies and see something so they'll kind of dump a moonfall on us and that that happened a lot in the nineties the early two thousands uh, doesn't really happen as much anymore in fact this year. The only movies I would consider to be in that kind of in that frame has been that, that 355 movie. That was the Jessica Chastain, like women spy movie. Like that's a perfect January, February. Just you dump it there and just, you know, you're going to lose money on it. So you're just hoping that there's just a lack of competition and you end up just getting something back. You know, something like Scream, I don't consider that. Scream is a, that's an IP that's successful. Uh, I think Paramount had some confidence in that movie. It was well marketed. That's different. But like Moonfall, like this is just a shitty movie that they're just going to 
going to dump on you. But there hasn't been enough of those options out there. And because of that, that's why you see the shorts in so many theaters. So for, for my project, from where I'm standing, it's like, I don't, I don't have a lot of options now. I almost have to see these shorts because they're taking up so many screens in so many theaters. So I'm going to see these shorts. I don't know if I'll see all three. I don't know. So that that's kind of the plan. It's not the ideal, but there just aren't enough movies coming out. This is going to resolve itself by April. Uh, April's film slate is looking uh, a lot more loaded. Part of the problem is the Batman is taking up so many theaters, but also Uncharted is too, to some extent. So you have kind of two two movies that are just so top heavy in the box office right now uh, that it's just dominating screens in these theaters. So, so the shorts will count, which is a perfect transition to talk about Cinema Salem. They are opening again this weekend. So it's exciting for them. So if you're in that Salem area and you, you know getting popcorn, of course, it popped. Go run over to Cinema Salem. It's an independent theater. They're opening up uh, and they're going to have those Oscar nominated shorts there. I might actually see, see one or two there. I guess they put in new chairs. I have no idea, uh, but I'm just excited to see they are open again. It's another option for me in this project. So, so that was encouraging to see for sure. Uh, what's not encouraging is my budget. It is March. We are in budget month here. So how budget month's going to work is I'll give updates obviously on how much I've spent um, in this month. I'm curious to see how what is the cheapest amount of money you can spend kind of doing this? But I do want to give an update on how much I've spent up until the end of February. And it's not looking good. Like I've said before, I want the budget to ideally be under $10,000 for the entire year. So you forget what, like 800 and change a month. After two months, I've now spent $2,298. That would be $38.95 a day or $14,216 if uh, that was the entire year. Now, a big reason why is I went away three different times strictly for this project. So that all counts the budget, the hotels, the gas, uh, all that stuff obviously counts. So um, I'm hoping with the snow, we're, we're in March now, I'm hoping we're out of the window of major snowstorms that would make me leave the area. Uh, at least until we get until November, December. So uh, hopefully that will help. So I also want to give you guys some kind of deals I'm finding. And one deal I saw that if you are a Regal Crown Club member, which costs nothing to sign up with them, but uh, on Tuesdays, if you're a Regal Crown Club member, tickets are only five ninety five, uh, six bucks for a movie ticket, and then popcorn's fifty percent off. So not not a bad not a bad deal there. So I'll try to get, like if I see other deals, I kind of talk about those unlimited plans. Like I have the AMC and the Regal Unlimited. I like to talk about those in greater detail now that I've been using them more. And uh, and just kind of talk about any bargains that I, I might happen to see. I know Cinemark has a bargain club as well. But listen, budget month is finally here. And one thing is for certain, um, as you can tell, my financial plan could use some help. I'm not worried, though, because Tom Treshock of CNA Financial Group has my back. Tom has been kind enough to sponsor the expense report for the entire month. And not only can he help me get back on track with this show's budget, but he can also assist you with your own personal budget. At the end of the day, Tom's top priority is to ensure that you can have the ability to save more while maintaining your current lifestyle. So why wait? Give Tom a call today at 732-403-7747 to book a meeting and see how his approach can help you. Again, that's 732-403-7747 to book your meeting today. Registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PS, security products and advisory services offered through PS, member FINRA, SIPC, CNA Financial Group is not an affiliate or a subsidiary of PAS. Okay, let's wrap up concessions month here. Uh, peanut M&Ms. Peanut M&Ms are awesome. They are one of my favorite movie theater candies. I'm not a huge M&M guy, like the regular M&M. I know some people say they prefer the peanut butter M&Ms to Reese's Pieces. I don't see it that way at all. Um, but peanut 
M&Ms are fantastic. Wrapping it up, uh, and I'll put a poll out for you guys to vote on, but my top four movie theater candies, number four, Skittles, three, peanut M&Ms, two, the Haribo Gold Bears, and number one, started off, but it's still number one, Sour Patch Kids. The Sour Patch Kids and the Gold Bears especially are just go-tos for me. Um, but a little bit, it got some history here on, on M&M. So, so as difficult as it is to find any history or who the inventor was of Skittles, it's actually is a ton of history about peanut M&Ms. So uh, peanut, regular M&Ms, taking it all the way back here to the late 30s, uh, were ripped off of a British candy called Smarties. Now, these aren't the same kind of Smarties that we have here in the States, kind of like those like that candy tablets, if you will, you might get on like Halloween. Uh, these are uh, similar to M&Ms where they have a candy coated shell. And soldiers ate these in the Spanish Civil War in the late 1930s. And Forrest Mars, who's the son of Frank Mars, uh, brought the idea back to America with this candy-coated shell. And the reason soldiers ate them in the late 30s in that Spanish Civil War is because it was chocolate that didn't melt, uh, so they could travel around with them. By the time Forrest Mars brought them back, the uh, United States was in World War II, and our army was interested in M&Ms for the same reason that the soldiers at uh, Marisar were, and the military was the only customer M&Ms had until the war was over. Chocolate was being rationed during the war, and Hershey had control of all of the chocolate rationing for the entire country. So because of that, Mars had to let Hershey be the chocolate provider. So uh, Hershey owned 20% of M&Ms. And the M&Ms is Forrest Mars and William Murray, who ran Hershey. So it's Mars and Murray. That's the M&M. So peanut M&Ms, my favorite, were invented in 1954. But at first, it was they were only tan. There were no other colors. You just open the bag, just a bunch of tan peanut M&Ms. Uh, and in 1960, they added red, green, and yellow. Uh, red was removed in place of orange in 1976 because there was a red dye scare that found some of the red dyes would give you cancer. Not the red dye that Mars used, but by that point, um, I guess two different red dyes gave you, they said could give you cancer. Just people just had no interest at all in, in any red food. So they removed it due to the public uh, being scared of it at that time. It did come back in 1987. So Forrest Mars, though, he died in 1999 at the age of 95, and he was worth $4 billion when he died. But he never once had a peanut M&M because Forrest Mars was allergic to peanuts. Okay, Butter and Moonfall. So these are both two shitty movies again. Uh, Butter is going to get a C- minus from me. Uh, and it's probably, I'm probably being way too generous. This is a bizarre movie um, that is talking about things like teenage suicide, uh, obesity, some pretty um, intense topics. And it just doesn't have the clout to be able to handle these in an effective way. So the main problem this movie has, unfortunately, is the lead. It's Alex Kirsting. It's his first movie. And he plays uh, an obese high school student uh, named Butter. Uh, who is being teased for being so heavy. And he comes up with the idea to do a live stream of him eating his last meal. He's going to eat, basically eat himself to death on New Year's Eve. Word gets around in the school, he's going to do this and he becomes kind of popular from it. And he ends up getting some new friends and he's a very likable presence. Uh, Alex Kirsting is, uh, but he, he has trouble with the drama. And I, I kind of don't blame him. A, it's a really challenging role to carry an entire movie uh, on your shoulders when it's your first movie. On top of it, you're dealing with some very dark topics um, that even a more veteran actor might struggle with. Mostly unknowns in this, except for uh, Mira Sorvino, 
um, who was an Oscar winner for Mighty Aphrodite in the 90s. Michael T. Williamson, you might remember him as Bubba Gump. He was nominated for an Oscar in the mid-90s. Annabeth Gish, she was at the, on the, uh, at the end of X-Files. She's in West Wing. She's been, she's been Mystic Pizza. She's been a lot of stuff. She's a very small part. But mo- most of the characters are, are people you're just not really familiar with. And honestly, most of the, and it's all you know, high school kids, and they're doing, I said, most of, of the dramatic work here. At the end of the day, this is really an after school special. Um, it, it just, it has a really difficult time with tone and that falls on the director. It's written and directed by Paul A. Kaufman, not a very experienced director. Uh, let's go through his IMDb page for a second. So he directed Butter, which uh, was released uh, in movie theaters. But before that, it was Christmas Homecoming, The Christmas Cottage, A Very Vintage Christmas. And the movie he did after Butter was Christmas on the Vine. He also directed Christmas List. So it's a lot of these, you know, hallmark Christmas movies, um, which are going to not deal with heavy duty dramatic elements. Um, and this movie has that. Maybe in different hands, this movie could have been better with maybe a more experienced lead or uh, a better suited director. I, I will, so I will give the movie credit on a couple of accounts. A, it was all shot on location in Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, I think that part of the country is really interesting and they do a good job of using different, uh, different mountains or just kind of showing, showing the local area itself and some of the distinguishing shots. So I think they did a good job there. And like I said, the cast is likable enough. Uh, Mira Sorvino, Michael T. Williamson, they were nice. Neither of them tried to do too much. Sometimes you'll see that with, you know, actors who were Oscar contenders 30 years ago, and now they're at a different point in their career. But here they, they seem to be pretty comfortable just being in, in the movie and, and having their roles, especially Mia Servino, who plays the mom of Butter, who's at one point attempting suicide. And she never goes overboard with it. It always feels pretty authentic. And and she's had a really sad career. She, of course, I said, won the Oscar for Mighty Aphrodite. And you know, she's in Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion. And then she kind of vanished. I mean, she still did some work. Like if you look through her filmography, she, she was always working more or less. But then those high profile roles went away. And we found out why a few years ago. She rejected Harvey Weinstein in the in the mid nineties and he blackballed her. He when Peter Jackson called Harvey Weinstein about some of the casting choices he was making for Lord of the Rings, he mentioned Mira Sorbino, he mentioned Ashley Judd, and Weinstein told Peter Jackson that both those actresses are incredibly difficult to work with, stay away from them at all costs, they're nightmares, and that just wasn't the truth. Um, the truth was Weinstein was just getting his revenge on, on Ashley Judd and Mira Sorbino, and you know that's just one instance, but I mean, Lord of the Rings is, were, were huge movies. Uh, that, that would have changed the career trajectory for both those actresses had they gotten those roles, so it's so sad. You wonder how many careers, you know, we have, you know, Annabella Ciora. There's, there's a number of actors. I mean, you look at, uh, you know, the book Ronan Farrow wrote, and it's, it's, it's a laundry list of, of women who were, whose careers were, were destroyed by, by Harvey Weinstein. So Michael T. Williamson's career also went sideways, uh, but for different reasons. Um, in 1998, he went to go visit his four-year-old daughter at his ex-wife's home, and his four-year-old daughter was describing how her mother and the mother's new boyfriend were having sex. Williamson went to a rage, went after this new boyfriend uh, with a knife. The boyfriend said he was uh, cut on one hand and then the abdomen, he was stabbed in the abdomen. He had had to get it surgically fixed up uh, and he was able to kick Williamson away from him. Williamson was at that time charged with attempted murder and assault with a deadly weapon. Now, a judge reduced those charges because of insufficient evidence and reduced those charges down to attempted manslaughter. In September of that same year, he was acquitted I mean, I remember when that story happened, that was, that was a pretty big deal. Now, Williamson has worked pretty steadily, I would say more steadily 
than Sorvino in, in, in that time. He had a, a regular role in that show Boomtown on NBC, which was a pretty good show. He was on that show Justified. Uh, so he's done a lot of TV work. He's done some some movie stuff as well. But that definitely that definitely hurt his career, especially when it was really at its peak. You know, he had Forrest Gump, Con Air, Heat. He's in all those movies. And, and then that happens in 98, shortly after that. He did later do Ali uh, with Michael Mann again, uh, who had worked with on Heat. Um, but yeah, Michael T. Williamson's career never really lived up to the promise that you saw from Forrest Gump and, and some of the character work he was doing in the, in the mid-90s. But he's good in this. The movie itself, not particularly great. Like I said, I'm probably, I'm probably being too generous with the C-, minus, but it was a likable movie, but there's just not a lot there. And if you're dealing with issues like obesity or teenage suicide, this movie is not going to tackle those subjects with the, with the delicate nature, but also the importance that those issues deserve. I, I, I can't recommend Butter. I, <laughs> I really can't recommend Moonfall. Moonfall is spectacularly bad. Um, I'm giving this a D minus. Let's go through the five worst movies I've talked about in the show so far. Uh, the, the fifth worst movie is Strawberry Mansion. That was the movie. Uh, it's a experimental movie about, about dreams. Um, it doesn't, doesn't work for me at all. Number four is Moonfall. Moonfall is, uh, I'll talk about that in a second, is, is amazingly bad. Uh, number three is Rifkin's Festival, which is similar to Moonfall in a lot of ways. Number two is The King's Daughter. That's the Pierce Brosnan movie about the princess that finds a mermaid and befriends her, but Pierce Brosnan is the king and wants to kill the mermaid. And the number one worst movie I've covered so far is The Tiger Rising with Queen Latifah and Dennis Quaid about two children that find a tiger locked up uh, in a cage in, in the woods, how they deal with that. It's, a, it's, a, it's an impressively terrible film. Uh, but Moonfall and I said Rifkin's Festival have a lot in common. You have two directors that are just way past their prime, but still trying to do the same thing, um, but just don't have the cast or the skill to pull it off anymore. You know, Rifkin's Festival, you had Wallace Shawn in the typical Woody Allen role where um, this guy's kind of having problems with his wife, uh, meets younger women, is very neurotic, but it just feels empty because, you know, instead of having an A-list cast, you have Steve Gutenberg. Uh, it just doesn't quite work. Uh, also, the the setting is is not up to the same standard as a typical Woody Allen movie. This isn't Manhattan. You know, you have things that are shot brilliantly by the top cinematographers of their time. Uh, Rifkin's Festival at times looks very sloppy, it, you know, it's shot in a rush. It, it, it was just, just a bad movie. So Moonfall is like that with Roland Emmerich. So Roland Emmerich, obviously not the same director as Woody Allen, but Roland Emmerich at one time was a fantastic action science fiction director. He directed Independence Day, which is one of the best science fiction slash action movies of the 90s. I know it's kind of dumb. I know the ending doesn't quite work, uh, but that is a fun movie to watch. Great cast. Just It's just wall to wall, just entertaining. Um, he directed Stargate, which is, it's a pretty smart science fiction movie. It has Kurt Russell, James Spader. It's an interesting movie. And then he, then later on, he transitioned a bit. So he goes to doing Godzilla and the Patriot and Godzilla doesn't work. Uh, the, I did not like the Patriot with Mel Gibson. Uh, but then he just ends up doing kind of goofy disaster films like Day After Tomorrow in 2012. Those movies aren't good, but they're fun. They're big budget. You could do a lot worse. Uh, and at least uh, you felt like you were getting your money's worth the special effects. With this movie, Moonfall, it's just a sad, hollow shell of what used to make Roland Emmerich great. I mean, the cast is, it's Halle Berry, who is trying her damnedest. Now, Halle Berry was an Oscar winner. 
Um, and she's actually trying to play this dramatically straight. Like she's trying, she's pulling out all the stops um, in this movie, which I don't think is the right way to play it. I think you're just supposed to be goofy, have fun, chew up scenery and, and have a blast. But she's playing it very seriously. Like, like she's going to get her second Oscar from this. You have Patrick Wilson, who is, I guess, doing a Chris Pratt impression of sorts. Um, he plays a broken down astronaut that used to be an astronaut with Halle Berry. It has to get called back in service when they realize, as the title says, Moonfall, the moon is um, going to is changing its orbit and is going to fall directly on top of the Earth. And then you have John Bradley. You might know him from Game of Thrones. Um, probably a poor man's Josh Gad. And there's a reason for that, that he was cast because Josh Gad was supposed to be in this. But Gad had a drop out. John Bradley took his place. This also happened with Michael Pena. That was supposed to be Stanley Tucci in that role. Uh, Michael Pena took his spot, which is interesting because Pena is 46 years old. Stanley Tucci is 61. I, I, I can't imagine too many instances where Michael Pena and Stanley Tucci are, are replacing each other in roles. Michael Pena is an actor I like a lot. He's so good in Observe and Report, um, which if you haven't seen Observe and Report, check that out right away. It, to me, the, p- people who I recommended to either love it or hate it, uh, I really, really, really love that movie. Uh, it, it's very funny, interesting, makes you think. It has uh, tackles mental illness in an interesting way. Uh, that's a really good one. Um, but the rest of the cast are, are either unknowns. We have Donald Sutherland pop up in a very small role. Uh, Donald Sutherland is always great. Uh, and he's actually really good in this. You wish you had more of him in this movie, uh, but it's a very, very, very small role here. I've never seen more inconsistent effects in a movie. At times, it's like Sharknado effects where it, like it's so bad. like The green screen is so obvious or the miniatures are so shitty. And at other times, they're pretty decent like some of the space stuff is like oh this isn't so bad i was shocked to see this cost 140 million dollars to make but i think a big reason why is because emmerich ended up producing this basically independently universal pictures originally had the rights to this uh emmerich ended up getting the rights back to him after he was really committed to doing the project universal pictures wasn't interested anymore they saw the script well, i don't know what happened emmerich got it back and he ended up getting financing from a couple different sources, including a, a Chinese film studio. Uh, Lionsgate was involved. Uh, and he staked a lot of the money himself. And there's a reason movie studios typically make money. Like they know what they're doing. They know how to save money on cost. They know kind of who to work with. Warner Brothers, Universal. These are, you know, 20th Century Fox. These are Disney. These are companies that have been in business a long time. Uh, Roland Emmerich, yeah, he's a director. He's had a, a very good career, but he hasn't had to independently produce a movie. Uh, it's a whole different, it's a whole different animal. And this movie looks like it costs 30 to $40 million to make. This is, you know, I don't know where a hundred million dollars ever went. It's just not on the screen. It's kind of a shame. I think like the moon changing orbit or, you know, instead of me crashing onto the earth, you know, just a slight change in orbit or something like that, that does have a major, that would have a major effect on earth. That could be an interesting movie. That could be an interesting story. Roland Emmerich at, you know, 20 years ago, that might've been an interesting movie. For some reason, he, he just has completely lost his fastball. I don't know if he's just getting too involved with the movie. Like I said, he helped write it, produced it. Um, you know, his, his creative partner is doing the music for it. Like at some point, maybe you're just too involved and you can't see the flaws, but this is an ab- absolutely terrible movie. This is wild. Like, I guess, you know, the reason, I'm sorry, the reason Pena replaced Stanley Tucci was COVID. I guess uh, Stanley Tucci wasn't able to travel to uh, Canada where they were shooting this. 
And, you know, the pandemic, they shot this during the pandemic. Filming began in Montreal in October 2020. Because they couldn't shoot on location, they had to construct 135 different sets built on six stages at this movie studio in, in Montreal. That's a big reason why United Artists in the 60s started really kind of blowing up and making some real money is because they realized, like, you don't do things. You don't make an entire movie on, on a soundstage. Um, there's, there's a lot more profitable ways to make a film. And you think with Roland Emmerich, with it being his money at stake, he would want to go that route, but he's, he's going to take the hit. It only made $38 million. This movie lost, before marketing, this movie lost $100 million, which is a wild amount of money to lose. Moonfall, absolutely terrible. Uh, it's not quite an F. Uh, it is goofy and somewhat entertaining enough at times, I guess, where it's just not... Like a Tiger Rising, it's barely a movie. Like There's, there's at least some elements here that... that Made me chuckle and Donald Sutherland was in three minutes. And I guess that alone makes it not enough. But uh, Moonfall is absolutely horrible. So, huge thank you to our sponsors, a popped gourmet popcorn, as well as Tom Treshock from CNA Financial Group. Uh, you can check, I'll have all their information in the show notes. Uh, and I will be back on Friday with Blacklight, the Liam Neeson movie. Talk to you folks then. 